At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength conditioning and strength conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum, joined as always, well, not always, but more frequently these days by the second most handsome doctor in North America, Dr. Austin Baraki. Austin, what's going on, man? Hey, man. How are you? I'm I'm great. Happy holidays. Uh, This is episode 163, our annual year-end wrap-up. We did this episode, a similar episode last year in 2020. Now we're going to do it again in 2021. And I predict, you know, provided the end of the world doesn't occur in the next 12 calendar months, we'll do one in 2022. So this is like our year-end wrap-up, best of, and uh, we'll probably go on some rants just knowing us, you know. (laughs) But before we do that, before we lose half of our listenership, uh, we just dropped a ton of new apparel over on the Barbell Medicine website. We've got the what are you going to do not train stuff is back in multiple different colorways. We got shirts, we got pullovers, the Thrasher logo t-shirts and hoodies, and we got ice shakers. Now, let me just say this. I don't, I'm not a Nalgene guy. I'm not like, I don't have a shaker that I like. I love the shaker. It is for me. I don't do any of that stuff. Anyway, I am actually impressed with this, this shaker. One, it doesn't sweat, which is great. Like if it's something's cold in there, it doesn't sweat. It doesn't leak. It, do- it never smells. And I, again, protein shaker, I'm not the best at like automatically cleaning my shaker after a protein shake. It doesn't smell. I I literally, I left this thing. I had a shake. Uh, we had a golf trip, buddy's golf trip this weekend. I had a shake on Thursday in my truck and I left the shaker in my truck. <laughs> Risky. Risky business. And then I got home Sunday and I was like, well, this is how it ends. <laughs> and I opened it and honestly, yeah, I couldn't smell anything now. And I don't have COVID though. So I just like, you know, it was fine. So anyway, the, uh, they're stainless steel. They've got our logo engraved on there. It's not just like, you know, a sticker or anything. And they're two tone. They're really cool. If you need an ice shaker or a shaker, apparently they claim that you it'll keep ice in there for 40 plus hours, which seems impossible from a physics standpoint and also environmentally dependent, but I'm not, I'm not here to test that claim. Uh, pretty cool stuff. Uh, and then finally we have this barbell medicine lift for life collaboration shirt. So lift for life is a, it's a charitable organization in St. Louis, Missouri. They basically take, uh, underserved youth from the area and get them involved in weightlifting. And actually they've generated some national level and international level competitors out of that program. Uh, the reason I know about them is 
I used to train at a gym called the lab gym, which is still there. They just moved to a new location uh, where they would do some of the the training out of. And I saw this thing day in, day out for years. And I was like, wow, this is a really cool charity. And uh, I thought, man, I wanted to do something, uh, something philanthropic. And I thought, what better way than to contribute to this, uh, this great charity. So we have that shirt on our website, all proceeds go to that charity. And, uh, so if you're in, interested in some gear, some apparel, some barbell medicine apparel, we've got you covered. Austin, I, I do have something to ask you and I don't know if you remember, so I'll, I'll just come out with it. Where did the, what are you going to do? Not train phrase come up with. I have my own origin story, but I'm very curious what your origin story for this is. Um, I, I don't know that I have a great origin story for it. That might, that might disappoint. I feel like I can uh, retroactively invent some kind of a memory, but at the same time, at the same time, you know, I feel like, um, you know, we have, we have our, uh, our, our roots coming from the medical training side of things where we're always thinking about, you know, what kind of things might change what we do with a given patient, right? Mm-hmm. If something has this or doesn't have this or does this test or that test, how is that going to impact what we do for them, what we recommend, or our management of the situation? And so in the context of training and lifting, people ask us questions all the time. And I think we have a very similar perspective on it from that standpoint where people ask us, okay, well, what about this? And it's like, okay, well, even if that was the case, I don't think it's the case, but even if it was, what are you going to do? Like it doesn't impact your management. So it's just kind of like a, a general thought process that we have about a lot of things. Like how does this impact what I do or recommend in a given situation? I suspect that you have a, either a better story or you have also retroactively, uh, uh, you know, uh, made up a memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I confabulated this, but I, but I, <laughs> I, I am I'm somewhat confident in this origin story okay. because I agree that that's where it like stemmed from or at least that's where like how it's being applied now. I think though, do you remember the dry erase board in the old original House of Gains? It was like right inside on the right by the deadlift platform. So yes. This is yeah. So this is my like original like medical school gym, and I would write like random things on there like. It'd be a John Bros quote, like every day is a good day to squat or like some, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I, I, in my mind, and again, this could be a confabulated memory, but in my mind, I believe I wrote on there at some point, like, what are you going to do? Not train. Now I don't, I will not say that I popularized this. That's not, I think if anybody popularized it, that's, that's you. Austin said it. And again, I do think it has more to do with like, all right, how would this test, how would this result, how would this diagnosis change management regarding training? And in the answer, you know, for most things, it just doesn't. So what do you, like, what are you going to do? Not train, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I think that's my origin story. I don't know. You can, you can let us know. You can tweet at us or DM us <laughs> or post on fa- our Facebook group, uh, which if you're not on our Facebook group, it's, this is a great time to join. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Uh, Okay, so apparel dropped. Head over to the website. Link in the description below. Other announcements. We just had to cancel our Miami seminar. Um, We're going to reschedule it. Uh, So that means our next seminar date is in March. Uh, That'll be in Philadelphia. Pain and Rehab guys are going to be in Oregon. Um, But yeah, the deal, the COVID is not not doing so great right now. And I suspect in January it's going to be potentially even, even worse. And so, um, you know, hard to feel confident about having a large event with people. And also just as an aside, I'm, this is annoying to me. I'm going to read you this, this post on Instagram. This thing got almost 70,000 likes 
All right. I'm, this is not the caption. This is the graphic. Two years into the pandemic and mainstream media is still not promoting sunlight, vitamin D in parentheses, proper sleep, a healthy BMI, daily movement and exercise, meditation for mindset, importance of nutrition, eliminating seed oils and excessive sugar intake. This is a massive missed opportunity to improve the health of our country. So let me, let me just say this. Some of these things are not actually health promoting. It's just made up buffoonery. So like eliminating seed oils, that's unnecessary. Uh, meditation for the mindset, while I do think can be an active part of somebody's life if they enjoy it, that's not necessary for promoting health. Um, and sunlight even, like this idea that you need to regularly expose yourself to sunlight for like optimal health outcomes. Humans, as it turns out, can thrive under a bunch of, you know, various unique scenarios. But the whole idea, yes, you need to sleep properly, have a, an appropriate body composition, you know, healthy body composition, exercise regularly. Sure. Eat a health promoting diet. Like we're all behind that. But all of those things are not as effective at reducing the risk of COVID, COVID related hospitalization and COVID related adverse outcomes like death than the vaccine. Like, and as a, the second point, mainstream media covers all of this stuff and there's multiple you know health promoting campaigns on exercise diet whatever the point is those things don't work to get people to change their behavior that's the that's that's what people are missing and if there was just like an advertisement saying do, do you know that exercise is health promoting people would be like yes that doesn't get people to exercise you're miss they're missing the point so anyway also just by the way like exercising more doesn't reduce your risk of getting an infection, it reduces your risk of maybe dying from the infection because you have a more physiological reserve. But we did this whole podcast on immunity and exercise, and you check that out. Yeah, it's just I think, annoying. I, I think that there are a ton of things that people can do that provide very general improvements in health status. And if you look literally at every kind of clinical practice guideline in the medical world, you know, let's say you go to look up like, you know, uh, guidelines around managing diabetes, the very top line, top row in those guidelines is lifestyle, you know, uh, uh, interventions to include, you know, the exercise guidelines, the dietary guidelines, things like that, that have a, a very large evidence base behind them. So the idea that these things are just being ignored is incorrect. Uh, however, as you said, just saying that these are the guidelines in whatever medium does not itself tend to change people's behavior. The second part is that those things provide general, very general improvements in health status, and none of them are particularly specific for any given disease state. They provide no specific immunity against this particular uh, infectious agent. And so we actually re just recently had, a, had a, a question asked of us on the forum yesterday that I addressed somebody who had uh, an inquiry about uh, oh, getting the, boosted, getting, yeah, the boosters. And so just one line that stuck out, he said, my question is why bother getting boosted when we now know it doesn't do much to limit transmission. And the disease was so mild for him personally, he had apparently gotten vaccinated with two doses early on, and then subsequently had a very mild breakthrough kind of infection. And so I had a response to him that I think is worth just kind of mentioning here but it's very, very confusing to me. And it's very frustrating that people have started to adopt this idea that if the immunization is not 100% effective against literally any symptomatic infection at all, then it is completely ineffective. And you would rather just get infected anyway, which is 100% <laughs> right, right. wrong. There's never, ever, ever been any public health intervention 
including vaccines or any medications or really any treatment to include exercise or anything else you can do that has 100% efficacy against anything. This is just literally not the way things work ever. Um, even going back to the times of polio, right? So polio, we've effectively eradicated from many places on earth due to immunization. And people may not know this, but if you look at the statistics for you know uh, a polio virus infection, most people do fine. It's actually <laughs> kind of kind of similar in that it's a progressively smaller fraction of people who have that infection that would then progress towards things like you know progressive muscle weakness, the paralysis, the respiratory failure, needing to get hospitalized and, and dying. Those are actually progressively smaller and smaller fractions of people, which is quite similar to what we're dealing with now. And so, you know, ultimately, what I what I you know explained in this uh, reply is that if an individual is fully vaccinated um, and now with this current, obviously highly transmissible and hopefully less severe variant uh, being boosted with a, with a third dose, it does substantially reduce the risk of uh, experiencing a symptomatic infection. Is it possible that, that, uh, that you can have a breakthrough? Of course, because nothing is 100% effective. If an individual does experience a breakthrough infection, being fully immunized significantly reduces the risk of them having severe symptoms from this infection. That was probably this individual who posted because he had been vaccinated and then had a very mild, like a mild, you know, runny nose or something and they got better. If you are then within a sub sub fraction of people who have severe symptoms because of bad luck and maybe some other factors that are playing against you, being fully immunized reduces your risk of hospitalization which is all desirable. And then if you are in the most profoundly unlucky sub, 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 sub fraction of people who, despite being immunized, have a breakthrough that has symptoms that are severe, that require hospitalization, you're still less likely to die compared to somebody who is not. It's all just a percentage risk reduction across the board for all of these things. None of these percentages are 100%. And the fact that it is not 100% does not suddenly support the argument that, oh, I would be better off if I just didn't do this and got infected anyway, because that's not the case. Right. Even Alico got this wrong. Alico made a post on their Instagram that says strength decreases the recovery time from COVID-19. And, and really what they should have said is healthier people recover better from infectious disease or from disease. So the study that they quoted does not show that like being stronger, like gives you this dose dependent relationship between like recovery time and like onset of symptoms. It just showed that people who were stronger in general had a reduced recovery time. And it's like, yep, because you're healthier. Yeah. Just because yeah. Alika wants that to be true does not, does not make it yeah. true. And so people, I would love for it to be true too. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Nobody wants us, wants this to be true more than us. Right. We're just like, you just exercise. And it's like, well, sure. Being healthier in general is going to like reduce your risk of bad outcomes. But, but you, you also know, it, you also don't win a prize for going through life without taking advantage of these other kind of things that can provide much more potent and specific risk reductions. No. Yeah, right. You would want to be healthier in general by and. <laughs> eating a health promoting diet, exercising, all this other stuff. And oh, yeah, by the way, taking advantage of mo everything modern medicine and modern society has to offer. Right. Yes. Like, uh, well, I'm just saying, you know, the indoor plumbing, sanitation, all that stuff tends to be like really useful for like promoting long term health in any case. So now that we've spent, uh, you know, 12 minutes talking about probably the most controversial topic in our lifetime, we can move on because now there's only three people listening to the podcast. That's appropriate for a year in review, huh? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's true. That is true. All right. So we're going to start this off the best of list. All right. First off, our pod podcast. Now, look, we got... 
10 days left in the year. We're just over 1.9 million downloads for the year, which is uh, substantial. I don't think we're going to cross two mil, though. I don't think we're going to cross two mil. But but 2022, it's on. It is on. <laughs> we're up about a million downloads from last year, which means uh, more of you guys are sharing this. You're getting into online arguments and sending them a podcast, which is effectively changing no one's mind. But hey, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Yeah, really. All right. So interesting. Our top three episodes. One is the education in the rehab field. Were you on that one, Baraki? Uh, no, that was just no. the rehab guys. Which is great because I think that just – uh, that is a, a community that we definitely want to be involved in, and we have great professionals. Um, people like slide in my DMs all the time, like, hey, I have this very specific injury. Like, what do you recommend I do? And I'm like, well, if you haven't gotten very far with like this self-management approach and all the materials we put out for free, like, I really think professional help would be useful. And as far as who I'm going to recommend, they're the people that work you know, with us. Because that's why we, we picked that's them why we work reason. with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't just happen across them, you know, or whatever. So that's kind of like my general rehab recommendations. Like, okay, self management, pain and training. What do we have a lot of content on pain and in specific injury management? Uh, but if that you can't get anywhere with that, you need some professional help. And instead of spending the time like figuring out, does your PT is your personal PT in close proximity to you like any good? I'd recommend ours. 100% agree. Especially if you're paying out of pocket. Especially if you're paying out of pocket, yeah. you know, anyway. If your insurance is covering it, I feel less, like, inclined to do that just due to the resource thing. But, uh, yeah, even if, if you've exhausted your, your you know, local PT, then our, I think ours, our pain and rehab team would be the way to go. Yes, no objections. I've, uh, I've, I've consulted them myself. You've consulted them. I've sent friends, family, et cetera, to them. Uh, they are best in the business. Would recommend. Yep. A second most popular episode was Progressive Overload. That's where we kind of introduced, I would say, in a very charitable way, this progressive loading versus progressive overload sort of idea. Now, I'll say this. We didn't invent this idea. But like, again, when you go back into some of the classic strength training and uh, training texts about progressive overload, the majority of them, particularly the ones that are well-written, support this idea of progressive loading the idea is like you have to match the individual's current like fitness level and their needs with the training it's not just it doesn't always have to just be more it has to be appropriately dosed and like i think at some point along the way people just kept reading progressive overload 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 and then your brain immediately jumps to more it has to be more every single time and it's like does it though? Yeah, it meshes kind of with the culture of of powerlifting as being a you know super intense you know macho kind of kind of thing. And and so to summarize, you know that podcast for those who maybe haven't had a chance to listen to it or may have forgotten. I mean, the idea was differentiating between the concept of I have to force more weight on the bar, even if it's it markedly harder, or if I'm failing reps, any I'm, I'm still just the fact that it's heavier and harder that 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 is what is then driving adaptations rather than what we view as the reality to be. Uh, if you are providing an appropriate stimulus in a given session, then you will adapt and get stronger by some subsequent point, at, at which point you'll be able to add weight to the bar because you have gotten stronger in the interim. It's kind of flipping it. Yep. Yep. Chicken, egg. Chicken, egg. Egg, chicken. 
All right. And our third most popular podcast, which brings me great joy, is the Vitamin D podcast. <laughs> I was going to say, this please that, pleases me. <laughs> yes, this pleases me. And it just – it goes back to the same sort of thing. When when Alaiko wrote you know, that post, it was like strength tra- you know, strength decreases recovery time from COVID-19. They could have just re- replaced strength with vitamin D status. Yep. And so the, and the misunderstanding there is like, oh, well, that means I should take vitamin D because it will reduce my recovery time. It's like, nope, just having a healthy vitamin D level means that you're relatively healthy. Yes, this is a metric for health, like current health status. And it's like, just like strength, strength is a, like kind of a metric for your current health status in some ways. Or, or you could make an equivalent association, probably if you measured people's HDL cholesterol levels, that they're healthier, healthier people's HDL tends to be higher. And if you're more ill or sick in general, it tends to be lower, but that doesn't mean that you, that doing things to actually increase that will have any impact because it turns out this has been studied and they do not. Yeah. <laughs> turns out we have robust evidence supporting all of this rather than needing like, oh, I heard that. And it's like, mm, did you though? And where did you hear it from? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. So that's our top three podcasts. Really excited about the growth of the podcast this year. Uh, more podcasts to come next year for better or worse. I feel like I feel like an I feel like an honorable mention on the podcast needs to go. I, I particularly had fun on the one that we did together with uh, with Greg Lehman. Oh just, yeah, just having ha- you know he's a he's a, a fun guy to talk to and has um, he's he's been around this scene for a really long time. We talked about back pain with him, and uh, he kind of is uh, on the same side as us in this in this kind of uh, mission to get people less afraid of their of using their backs and moving and living life and stuff yeah. like that. I would even say that Greg is, e- is even more aggressively neutral than we are. So, so like if we, if, if there are, if one side is like, okay, like your technique matters, posture positioning matters so much. And that's like the biggest risk factor you have for having pain or injury. And then the other side is, you know, it's not that nothing matters. It, w- it would just be like, I, well, maybe it would be that it's all luck. Yeah. <laughs> when we're kind of like in the middle of this aggressively neutral thing, we're like, sure, for lifting efficiency, you, you know, there's definitely better and worse techniques. And, you know, to the extent you want to activate certain muscle groups, like, yeah, you would use particular techniques. Okay, sure. But then injury and pain is kind of like this black box. And so well, it's probably more complicated. I think Greg is even is even more aggressively neutral than we are because he's like, yeah, we just don't know. Uh, this is a hypothesis, and that's fine, but we just don't know because this particular thing has never been studied. And we're like, "Damn, they even took it one step further." <laughs> he's like this—he's like the Z-axis. He just like comes out of nowhere and just like <laughs> hits you in the face with that. So yeah, definitely a great podcast. I'll link all of those in the description below if you happen to be just joining us for the first time on our podcast series. Well, now you got the top three from 2021 uh, on Instagram that social media juggernaut uh our top three posts this again this list brings me great joy our number one most interacted with and viewed post has to do with cancer mortality and squats now austin please tell the our listenership that if you squat more you'll have less cancer (laughs) cannot say that (laughs) come on man do you understand the market that we would have if that were the case Um, there, have, there are actually people out there who are proposing these kind of things. And, and we, we had a chat about this the other day, kind of in the same vein as what you were mentioning earlier around people's claims about things that can potentially help with, with COVID, for example. So I've seen posts by some folks. I will refrain from naming them so you don't have to go back and edit it later. But it's the same type of people in general, like, pe- like biohacker types or, or uh, in general, people who really like to nerd out on 
evidence, which, hey, we do too, but they like to nerd out on evidence on um, mechanistic data. So uh, things that maybe some study looked at like an in vitro Petri dish mechanism or measured some kind of like a blood test biomarker in, in humans related to training or something that wasn't really, um, you know, what we'd call a, a real world kind of outcome that, that real humans are going to care about. You don't, you don't necessarily feel better or live longer if this blood test changes, but that's what the study might've looked at. So there's some people who say, um, you know, oh, this study showed that exercise increases levels of this particular thing that then suppresses tumor growth. And so exercise will prevent cancer. And it's like, well, there's probably a role for physical activity and general health status in reducing the risk of certain cancers. But then you have to, you know, look at that in contrast to you're not, you can't be claiming that um, as being a like more important mechanism than like more specific therapies for that particular kind of cancer, right? Just like we just mentioned earlier with like general exercise being healthier in general versus a specific thing um, for, you know, the SARS-CoV-2 virus uh, or something like that. And so in general, these these folks uh, tend to, we see the same thing in like the, the um, cholesterol, you know, uh, dis- discussion. People who do not have uh, clinical training or clinical experience working with, you know, real patients, um, they kind of tend to miss the boat on this because they find some kind of like a mechanism and take it way too far uh, without really having great context um, of how these kind of decisions and and management is done in the real world with real people. Um, So I, the way I view this kind of thing with respect to physical activity, training, strength, uh, cancer, things like that is there are a number, there's a pretty large body of evidence having to do with um, physical kind of strength, performance status, improving outcomes at multiple kind of levels here. So for example, if you were diagnosed with cancer, um, I'll say being, you know, healthier in general, having a good body composition, generally physically active, it can reduce the risk of some cancers, but of course, cancer is a giant, very heterogeneous category, right? So you can just have like one unlucky gene mutation and that can set you up for like a certain kind of leukemia. And that has nothing to do with anything, any decision or, or, or habit that you ever had in your life. But other ones are more related to body fat, for example. Um, there's some relationships there. So let's say it might reduce some, some of those risks. If you're diagnosed with cancer, having higher amounts of strength, being in better shape, will improve the odds that you are eligible to receive treatment. Some people who are like, you know, already, you know, very thin, weak, frail, they might say, man, we're more likely to harm you than to help you with treatment for this. So you'd be more eligible to get treated. If you get treated, being in better shape, you're less likely to experience uh, side effects or or what are called dose-limiting toxicities, where they have to modify your treatment regimen because of side effects. You're more likely to make it all the way through treatment, which will then translate into better outcomes, lower risk of death, long run, better quality of life throughout the course of treatment. There's actually a fair amount of evidence for this. This is all stuff that I've lectured on before um, in the context of, of sarcopenia and cancer. So definitely should train. But uh, if if the claim was that, hey, if you squat, you're going to like prevent yourself from getting cancer or something like that, obviously, I would not uh, I would not take it that far. Sure. Yeah. Again, some types of cancer, obviously, uh, the risk is reduced with meeting the current physical activity guidelines. That's in that scientific consensus statement for the latest uh, activity guidelines. And then the evidence is not uniform across all of these different cancers because, again, as you said, cancer is a heterogeneous uh, sort of entity. When people say, oh, reduce the risk of cancer, it's like, mm, which ones? Yeah. <laughs> and like, at what point? Uh, cool. Our second most popular Instagram post is actually a picture of, again, the second most handsome doctor in North America, Austin. He's sitting on a bench smirking because that's just what his face does. And the only reason I wanted to like point this out was because the caption is excellent. Uh, exercise should be something that builds us up, 
as much as it can and should be enjoyable. It might not be quite as enjoyable as eating ice cream while petting a puppy as the sun sets on a summer evening, but it should not be routinely tortuous, torturous either, uh, which goes back to the progressive loading thing. That's true. I mean, most of your training sessions are punching the clock. They're not particularly great and they're not particularly bad. Uh, if you feel constantly like run down, you know, destroyed, smashed, whatever, after each session, that is not a marker of like, wow, this exercise program is excellent or this is working better. It just actually kind of points out to me that uh, the training is probably inappropriate for your current work capacity and fitness level and probably is giving you worse results than a more appropriately meted dose uh, of training. I don't know that to be certain because I would need to know more about the individual. Yeah. I mean, we talked earlier about the, the, the concepts around loading. And if you just keep adding weight and weight and weight to the bar and, and your sets and sessions are getting harder and harder and harder, really, we just interpret that as like, you're probably not getting stronger. <laughs> you're just doing harder things. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It should stay the same effort throughout as you continue to get, you know, add weight, add reps, decrease rest periods, whatever sort of metric you're using or fitness adaptation you're targeting the effort should remain very you know similar as you become stronger faster more well conditioned etc recent as we discussed on the last podcast i had recently pulled a, a pr deadlift um when i pulled 745 this was about four weeks ago or something like that now after that deadlift um that was probably like one of the hardest things that i've done in far as far as lifting that that one particular lift and in the aftermath, the next several days, uh, there was no tweak. There was no acute incident or injury or anything that happened during the lift. I felt okay afterwards, but I felt increasingly stiff and had a fair amount of back discomfort in the like following couple days to like week timeframe after that. And I think it was just like, this is the heaviest load I've ever touched. It took like maximal recruitment, maximal effort to, to get that thing done. And that was just, that's how it manifested. The following week, I um, was doing my sumo day where I would normally sumo, you know, up to a top single or something, but I was like in a fair amount of discomfort. It was quite painful. So I did some tempo sumos. I worked up to 170 kilos for a set of eight. So that's like whatever, three, 374 for a set of eight tempo sumo. And that was like a challenging effort more from dis dis the point of discomfort than anything else. The following week, I got to the same sumo day, and by then, my back was feeling better. I pulled 270 kilos, so 595 for a single, and it was still somewhat challenging. It was maybe like an RPE 8, 8.5, something like that. Then the following week, which was yesterday, um, I pulled 290 kilos, so 639, so jumped another 40 pounds from that last one, more or less, and it was like an RPE 6.5 or 7. It was like even easier, and so this is kind of like the loads on the bar are increasing pretty substantially and the effort is either staying the same or going down. Imagine the other possible scenario where I just kept adding weight and the RPE went from six to seven to eight to nine to 10 over subsequent weeks. That would just be evidence that, Hey, I'm actually not improving or getting or responding to the stimulus from, from prior weeks. Right. Yeah. And also would make an excellent YouTube video, like how to add 270 pounds to your deadlift <laughs> in three weeks. Just get better <laughs> from your back pain. Yeah. This is like one of the, I, somebody, uh, one of my friends who actually is – he does not use like barbell medicine templates. So he's not – we just know each other through the gym and we're buddies. But he's like very unaware of what we – like what barbell medicine is and what we do, which is fine. I kind of like it that way. We, he's never asking me sure. like, I got this like back thing. You know, like what do I do? Uh, he sent me a screenshot. I guess he was on Reddit and he's like, dude, Reddit, Reddit powerlifting is like they're not a fan 
of of you and and, and Barbell Medicine uh, at, at at least these particular individuals. What what happened? I was like, it's the five three one thing. Mm-hmm. It's, and um, he's like, what 531 thing? What's 531? <laughs> so I had to explain to him. I was like, well, that's actually the, the problem is like, how do you define the program, right? And so like, I think if I was going to define it, I'd say, well, the nuts and bolts of the program before any like modifications or variations or whatever is like the 531 deload setup for the main lifts. And, you know, then you can like tweak and individualize from there. And I think every program can be individualized enough and tweaked enough to be useful and appropriate uh, for most folks, just like every resistance training program pretty much out there is going to meet or exceed the current physical activity guidelines for resistance training. That doesn't mean it's a great place to start from, right? So like if we're defining what a good program is, it's like, all right, it's a great template or base or set of heuristics or whatever to like generate a program for. And then again, for who, like if it's for a beginner or intermediate or like, you know, somebody who's new to this stuff, it shouldn't have that many options because it's like, well, if you have specific goals, like you don't really know where to go anyway. All right. So all that out of the way, the problem, one of the biggest problems with five, three, one is the progression plan. You start at fives and then you go to threes on the next week and then ones on the week after that. And then you deload. So if you add five pounds from the fives to the threes, people are like, Oh, I got stronger. It's like, no, you didn't. You changed the goalposts. It's a different rep scheme. So if you did a five, if you did five reps on your last set, you're supposed to AMRAP your last set. Let's just say you did five at 315 pounds. And let's say you combined RPE with this because you are woke. And I use that in a very charitable way, not like a weird, <laughs> weird way that's kind of like stigmatized now. And you did 315 for a set of five reps and it was RPE nine. And then the next week you did 320 pounds for a set of three at RPE nine. Are you stronger? N- no. 315 for five is an objectively better performance than 320 for three if the exertion's the same. Yeah, you'd have to have added more weight than just five pounds to make that make more equivalent. Correct. Difference. And people are like, see, I got stronger. I'm like, no, you didn't. You just changed the goalposts. And then the next week you do 325 for singles at RP9. And it's like, that's not so you're not as stronger. Yeah. It's- All you've done is just change the stimulus in a way that's probably not great because the volume has gone down and you have not increased the intensity enough. Uh, so that doesn't mean that every, that's everybody's experience on the program. It's just like that setup right there does not allow people to actually progressively load themselves really in a way that selects for specific adaptations in an auto-regulated sort of manner with enough volume to drive the thing. And so it's like, why start here? Yes, you can modify the thing enough, but at what point does it stop being that program? Anyway, our, our powerlifting did not understand that. And like they got a, there's a bunch of people on there that are really into five, three, one, and that's fine. It's just like, Hey, we, you guys aren't winning powerlifting meets. And if that's the whole purpose, right. Cause you're in the, our powerlifting section, it's like, why are you married to this thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Ronald like Russ or he came out and said, dude, I just five three one for 10 years and got this strong. <laughs> yeah. Like, like where, where's your hero, <laughs> you know? Okay. People are going to like like that too. I think they're going to really <laughs> like that. Uh, and the third most popular Instagram post uh, is my low back pain clip from Fort Irwin. Austin and I went to Fort Irwin. Is that 2019? It was – yeah, I don't remember, man. That was a long time ago now, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, I think it was 2019. Went to Fort Irwin just north of uh, Barstow in the Sierra Nevada desert uh, and did this presentation to their medical professionals there. And uh, we talked about low back pain. And I think what happens is people, you know, they have somebody in their social circle or they themselves have low back pain and then they like stumble upon our, our content or, you know, are familiar with our brand already. And they're like, oh, I wonder what 
resources Barbell Medicine has for us. I'm I'm pumped if it's the latter. I'm sorry that you're you know having that pain experience, but like cool that you're consuming our content and learning some self management strategies and sort of context. All that stuff is useful. I think when people are trying to be helpful, they just sh- send people our information. If somebody's like, oh, I have low back pain, or you know, blah blah blah, and then people just link them to our website. And I think that probably is useful. 10% of the time, like one out of 10 times, it's useful because a person's like a self-starter and like more curious than anything else. And they have time, whatever they can go read through our stuff. I think the other nine out of 10 times, it'd be better off to initiate a conversation with the person. If you want to like take responsibility for that. Um, it, Austin, how would you, if let's say that you went to heavy metal strength conditioning down the street from you, it's heavy metal, right? Yeah. Like that's the name of the gym. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then, and you train in there and some guy came, Hey man, big fan, you barbell medicine, you guys are great. I just, Hey, I just like tweak my back. Like what, what do you're obviously not going to say, Hey, what's your phone number? I'll text you my article link. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just trying to give people like a, like a tip, like, Hey, if you're trying to like initiate a conversation, like how do you start it? And then where do you go from there? And like 30 seconds. Yeah. I think the typical questions that I ask people are kind of like, tell me about what you're experiencing. Or like what led to this? What have you been doing leading up to this? So that's the way I get a sense of what their training has looked like, what their prior experiences may have been, things like that. And so that's like one important way to lay lay some groundwork in these conversations. Um, I would also typically ask them, you know, if they've had it before, what did they do before? What have they been told about their back? What do they think is going on? Those are a lot of other kind of useful questions because you can get a sense of what does this person actually think is happening like in their back, for example, and how does that translate into their management strategy? So somebody might say, oh, I think I herniated a disc, even though they have like no symptoms to suggest that you just have like, you know, just back pain with no other issues. And they're like, my plan was to, you know, take six weeks off from the gym. Uh, and that's like a place kind of like an entry point to the conversation to potentially challenge that a little bit um, in a uh, empathetic way to recognize, yeah, man, these symptoms can really suck. I've dealt with something like this before. Here's, you know, what I did, or here's what I t- recommend for people. Maybe even like what I've, you know, what we did with Alan when we were actually at that gym and he tweaked his back and he made a video out of it. And I kind of got him moving in a way that uh, like challenged his expectations. He, he had a little back tweak during a deadlift and he got real stiff and he was like, man, am I going to be able to move? And so we talked him through it and got him moving again. And so those are kind of the, that's the, that's the typical way that I approach those conversations. Get the other person talking first to tell me about their experience, to tell me about their thoughts, their beliefs, their expectations, um, and then kind of try to find my way in to challenge maybe some things that might be not entirely correct or, or um, suggest to them or see if they're open to trying other strategies that I think may be more productive to, to get them to where they want to be. I love it. Uh, moving on, more social media gains. Our YouTube channel, despite the hiatus... We had a, like a little hiatus, mainly because like just busy. It's a lot of work. People are like, oh, yeah. People are like, oh, who's your video editing team? I'm like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> like, why don't you hire somebody? I'm like, okay, look. So if we hired a video editing team, same thing with like a content production team, they could not do what we do. Our stuff is so highly technical. You would have to have another expert do this stuff. Because the editing part is not like the difficult part, like, oh, I just cut. And, and I'm not trying to minimize like what video editors actually do. I'm just <laughs> saying like, but to make sure that the information and its delivery is as accurate and succinct as possible, they would just be on the phone with me all day. Hey, so I tried to make this edit. Like, does this make sense when you say that? And I'm like, 
Why did I say that? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, that's kind of why we're at right now, where we're at right now. But, you know, maybe there's some med students listening to this or residents are like, actually, I'm in a whiz. Uh, You know, you want a job? Hit me up. Um, Anyway, three most popular videos are very the same, are very similar to last year. Uh, What do I eat in a day? People really concerned about my daily dietary pattern. I'm going to make another one. I'm going to Hawaii here in a week. So I've been trying to like lose, lose some weight, you know, oh, for the, okay. well, for the gram, the shreds. you know, <laughs> the shreds. Yeah. It's shred season. Well, so yeah, I'm down like, uh, since my meat, which is in November, I'm down, uh, almost 12, 15, 12, somewhere between 12 and 15 pounds. I didn't weigh myself this morning. Are you lighter than me which now? Some no? Of, <laughs> no, no. You're in the one. Are you in the one? I just live at one ninety five. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like 203 right yep. now. 204. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the bench press prescription, still getting, still getting those hits. People want to learn how to bench press. That's cool. Uh, and then the, does lifting increase the risk of hernias has supplanted the truth about belts. That's, that's like the, the new top three, but our best video from 2021 was hip anatomy and squat stance. Basically does your hip anatomy determine your squat stance? And I, people just got all bent out of shape about this. If they're really big into like this biomechanical explanation for why people move the way they move. And it's like, Hey man, that's great that you think that, but that's not true. And like, I I don't know how else to say it other, (laughs) you know, (laughs) other than like, yo, so I have a master's in anatomy and physiology, uh, clinical anatomy physiology. If anyone, like, I know a ton about the anatomy here. I've coached literally thousands of people how to squat and troubleshooted thousands of squats. I have more hours training the squat. Like, I don't know what else, like, what do you want from me? <laughs> you know, as far as like fund of knowledge stuff here. Um, it's basically like, yeah, does, does your anatomy in general, your musculoskeletal sort of composition, origin, insertion, you know, different bony elements, length of levers, your anthropometry, does all of that influence the most efficient way for you to move and the style you adopt because of that, as well as relative strengths and weaknesses of muscles, muscle groups, you know, how you're wired up, previous exposures, all of that. Yes, it all, yes, it does. But it, the hip anatomy in, in isolation is just one piece of the puzzle. It means it means that it means you can't take an X-ray of somebody's hip, for example, or or uh, you know analyze their hip structure and then use that to without knowing anything else about the person, without even meeting them, and then predict from that what this person's best stance is going to be or what their best movement strategy is going to be. Correct. And further, doing any sort of screening test on hip flexion, external rotation, internal rotation, whatever, or any other sort of joint, you know, assessment that's not the squat. And tell them and predict how they're going to squat and how people squat is going to change over the course of their lifetime anyway, their career as they get stronger, weaker, bigger, small, like whatever. So the whole point is, why do you need to determine someone's hip anatomy for to squat? You don't. You just have them squat. That's why this pre-exercise screening BS outside of like the PAR-Q uh, or the PAR-Med-X for like certain medical conditions. That's why this like, oh, we got to screen your ankle dorsiflexion or your, you know, hip external rotation. It's bullshit. Shots fired. I don't know that somebody can or can't squat until they squat. And because there's a relatively low risk of them squatting, just like right off the bat, we don't need to do the screening stuff. All it is is mental masturbation. Shots fired for sure. All right. Moving on. Articles. Three most read articles, beginner prescription, pain and training, and then the GPP what do article. Uh, a lot of traffic to the website. I don't love this list. I'll just say because this is a very similar list to 2020. 
And I think we've put out a lot of great content. My personal favorites from 2020 has been your cholesterol series, also the neck and the hip pain series, also the youth training series from Mile, Derek Miles. Like all of that stuff is very, very useful, but I understand that you're going to have more of an entry point at the beginner prescription, for example. You're going to have more people who are familiar with our content go to the pain and training and link people to that. I get all of that. But I'm just saying, if you're like, I wonder how I, at no like cost to me, could promote this brand that I really, really like. I would love it if you would share our our really our what we view as like very important like health promoting content. The seven the seven health priorities one is pretty high up there for me as far as one that I think that a lot of people could put into get actionable advice out of. And then you mentioned the cholesterol series, which admittedly has only been coming out within the past few weeks. Uh, part one, part two are up. I'm having part three that's going to be done this week. Um, and so I think those are going to be very useful for people in the future. Those would be my biases. Yes. Uh, okay. And now this is my favorite question. I left the answer in there from last year to just try to test you. All right. So what is our number one selling template this year? I'm probably going to stick with the same prior history predicting future <laughs> success on this on this one with the power building. Sure. People do love the power building template. And I will tell you that it is number two, oh. only to the beginner template, which brings me great joy oh. again. I love that's good. I think the beginner template are low fatigued. Yeah. If people are like, what are the most valuable templates that you guys have ever created? I think beginner template, the low fatigue template, and then probably the bodybuilding template probably offer the greatest value for the price point just because of the additional text components to each of them. Um, that said, like the other templates have all been updated this year and I think are all great. And, and and what I mean by great is like, if you asked me like, Hey, I would like to get stronger or bigger or more conditioned or whatever. Like, how would you program for me? I'm like, Hey, I got something for you. That's, that's, that's what I think. So anyway, but yeah, beginner template is a best selling template in 2021, which again, brings me great joy. All right. So now more if a personal best of list. All right, Austin, I already know this answer for you, but I'll let you, I'll let you, I'll let you answer. <laughs> what was your best training related moment of 2021? Well, I think it had to be that deadlift. I think you already so, knew that was coming. Yeah, <laughs> I did I'm going to let you I finish. Have, uh, <laughs> I did have some other, you know, uh, uh, PRs on the year, just looking back of the, the overall, the whole year, I high barred 600 pounds, which was uh, an accomplishment in, in my mind, not something that I had necessarily, um, anticipated happening or planned on for like a long time, but I had adopted high bar squatting as like my main variant for the past, for that year. And so that was cool. And then I also reverse grip benched 407, which was cool too. So, but the yeah, I was going to mention the cake. I was going to mention the reverse grip bench. Uh, I think for me, it's got to be probably the 641 squat in sleeves, yep. just breaking the, that. Uh, I pulled 742, which I actually did not enjoy mainly because the week before I'd pulled 730 seven at like an rp8 and i was like oh boy we're going we're going big and then 742 was very hard and i was like yeah i don't did that, that is that the one where you you had a tear a yes correct tear yes the lift yes yeah i was like all right not fun nope less <laughs> less enjoyable all right best now just we get to pour into your psychology <laughs> what is your best non-training related moment of 2021 um, I, 
I have a hard time picking specific, like one thing in particular. There were a couple cool things. So over the summer, um, had my whole family actually visit in San Antonio and it had been like approaching two, I think it would have been approaching like two years or something since I had seen my sister because of pandemic stuff. Um, so everybody was, was back in town. Everybody was together. So that was, that was fun. And then, uh, Lorraine and I earlier in the year, um, took our first vac like true vacation together. We actually came and visited San Diego and we hung out with, uh, with you and DJ and some other people out there spent like a week doing, doing cool stuff out there. So those were some, some highlights from the year. Yep. Uh, I have two things. One is like, I guess more, uh, professional development on Saturday. Well, technically this happened Friday at 11:59 PM. I submitted my, well, I'd submitted my capstone like two days prior, but the, the it officially ended my MBA program is officially over. And so barring any unforeseen sort of failure, nice. <laughs> I will have, you graduate. <laughs> thank Yes. Master Dr. Master Jordan is, I think, how I'm going to ask people to refer to me <laughs> from now on. That's cool. what, yeah, I need more education. And then the second one, when we surprised you for your birthday in San Antonio, just yeah. like <laughs> that was, yeah, just friends and really cool, like sort of experience. Also, that steakhouse was excellent. Yeah, Bohan Bohannon's for anybody who's visiting San Antonio. That was, uh, that was an awesome experience for sure. Yep. Uh, all right. Best of continued best seminar. I'll lead this one off while you generate your answer. And I actually don't have a best seminar because I think all of the seminars that I had a great time at were equally as great. I'll tell you the worst seminar I had. <laughs> <laughs> Sacramento, because I thought I was dying. I don't know. I mean, in, in, uh, you know what happened, but I was short of breath. I was retaining a bunch of water. Like I was not feeling great. And, and I this just, was like two or three weeks out from your meet. One week out from the meet. Yes. Oh, one week out. <laughs> yeah. So like Friday, I'd high bar squatted 530 for five or whatever. And you're like, that looked hard. I'm like, yeah, it felt hard. But it was kind of, I think it might be a high bar PR for five. So I'd never squatted yeah. a heavy set of five for in high bar. Uh, and, <laughs> so I was like, I guess we'll just do this meet, you know, whatever. But progressively, like, I, I think the very first, my very first lecture, you're like, why are you short of breath? And I'm like, I don't yeah. know. I was like, are you going into heart failure or something? Yeah, like probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, I got better. But yeah, that, that seminar was kind of a grind to get through. And uh, all right, your best seminar, do you have like a particular one that you thought, you probably think Sacramento was our best one. We didn't really do that many seminars. And so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Sacramento was yeah. a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we did a fewer just because of the current climate, unprecedented times. We, had, we hadn't been back to Alan's gym in a long time and he has expanded and his facility is uh, incredible and he's a great host. We had a maxed out audience that, uh, that was also great. A lot of healthcare professionals, physicians in the audience. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was all around a, a, a good time there. Yeah. He's got a meet. Well, his, he's holding a meet in April and I was like, I sent him a screenshot of the like sign up form. He goes, come back meet question mark. And I was like, perhaps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see if I'm strong in March, I'll just sign up and not tell anyone about it and then just go do it. Yes. That'll be the correct plan. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, best book you've read in 2021. Um, also have a hard time picking. I actually went in on one particular author. Well, two authors. I read Siddhartha Mukherjee's books, uh, this past year. He wrote the gene. He wrote uh, emperor of all maladies. Both of those were, were great, but I also, um, read a bunch of Patrick Redden Keefe's books. So he wrote empire of pain which I think we probably talked about on a prior podcast, but he also wrote two other ones um, 
that were not medical, they're more historical. One was called Say Nothing about, uh, you know, kind of like the, Ir- the Irish conflict, Northern Ireland, et cetera, which was very interesting history. And uh, another one called The Snake Hit, which I also found interesting. And then I read a bunch of other stuff. Right now, I just started a book called uh, Polio by Oshinsky, looking back at the whole history of that. About polio. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> that's that's kind of the the year and, and what I'm working through. Uh, my favorite book was Burn by Ponzer. Dr. Herman Ponzer. Yeah. And we got him on the podcast. So like that book, I mean, again, I, I listened to the audible version first and I was like, nah, I got to read it. And I, both times when I'm listening to it and then when I'm reading it, my mouth is just, Bleh. yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, just a lot of things that you thought you do, huh? That's the way I feel about Yellowstone. Yeah. Watching Yellowstone. So 10 out of 10 would recommend both burn and Yellowstone. Um, uh, as far as things I've changed my mind on, I mean, geez, so many things in 2021, I felt like I've kind of like evolved uh, certain positions from, I, I don't know if anything was like, I thought one thing and now I think the polar opposite. So I don't, it's been like an evolution, right? Of a lot of stuff. Um, I think the biggest difference is like end of 2020, if you asked me like, what are the best ways to get strong, maximal strength development, you know, I would have said, I think you should do singles and I think you should do, uh, you know, practice singles regularly. I and mean, I think you should do a bunch of volume work or most of your volume work between 70 and 80%. And I, I, I still believe that to be true, but my addition to that, and I think probably the most important thing and the thing that people probably most care about, cause people don't think if I change my opinion on like golf technique or like <laughs> breakfast preferences, but there are just so many different ways to get stronger that like really the range of acceptable intensities and acceptable programming or, or uh, workable programming strategies is beyond the scope of a single audio bite. So yes, I think that's my preferred way to get strong and how I would probably start someone if they were trying to, you know, maximal strength development, but the iterative process of like changing and changing and changing might look completely different. And I wouldn't think that, oh, this person's a non-responder or this person's like a hyper-responder. just like, that's, that's their preference. People might like the higher intensity stuff or much lower intensity stuff or, you know, imp- certain exercise variants that I don't like. And that's all fine. It's just like, it's been a, I've been continually becoming more and more open to that and less and less, I'll just say biased towards my pet strategies. So I I think last year, last year, my programs probably had a lot more sets at seven and eight and even less. And now uh, some of my program, I would say a lot more of my programs have sets at nine, like here and there for certain people that I think like respond better to that. So it's just iterative process. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with that stuff. It, it kind of goes back to, I guess, some of our roots and prior influences. The the idea that you can start from some kind of like physiological first principle and derive your way to like the perfect program for everybody is just completely wrong. Um, that's just straight up. There's there's uh, there's not any other way to to say it. And so um, I think evolving from that perspective has influenced a lot of. Uh, what we do now with uh, with people and and most of my clients training can sometimes evolve over time to look quite different. So I agree. The other thing that we made a big push on this past year, and similarly, it's more of an evolution than like a just a polar flip in how we think about it, but is the the approach to uh, obesity and how we talk about it, how we view it, the role of 
biological factors that may not be within an individual's control, the role of social environmental factors that may not be within an individual's control and kind of view like trying to get towards more um, generalizable strategies, less stigmatizing strategies, strategies that do not rely on people just like, you know, trying harder or like pulling themselves up by their bootstraps because in the real world, um, you know, there are these things, some people's bodies, for example, will fight them harder or less hard as they go into a calorie deficit and start to lose weight. And that can have major impacts on their outcomes and how easy of a time they have or how hard of a time they, um, they have achieving a given body size or body composition or whatever their, whatever their individual goal is. And, and then once you accept that and you view obesity itself as a, as kind of this disease of, uh, comp that, that, uh, involves a confluence of, of genes and environment and, and all this other kind of stuff, then it really is somewhat freeing in that it opens you up to a lot of other approaches and other treatment modalities and, and strategies that, um, ultimately are better and more effective as supported by current research and, and evidence on this compared to just telling people, Hey, just, uh, you know, eat less and move more and you will, uh, you know, succeed, which does not work. So they just got to choose. You got to consciously choose, choose. giant air quotes. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yep. People are, are going to hate this podcast. All right. Yeah, that's fun. yeah. To wrap this up, plans for 2022. One, we got an app coming out previously. Well, recent now, currently, not previously or recently, but now Apple development is reviewing our app. And, you know, we're just as soon as they give us the green light, you guys will know about it. I promise. I promise we will not release a major <laughs> development in the barbell medicine sort of uh, ecosphere without telling you guys about it. But it's going to be great. Um, you'll be able to log your training, even if it's not barbell medicine training on there. We've got our video library. We've got our, our, all of our content. Um, so, yeah, it'll be useful for folks. Uh, our certificate program, that's the plan for 2022. I don't, you know. Does that happen in 2022? We'll see, but it is on our minds. It is something we want to do. We're taking active steps towards that. E-courses, Austin is going to add to our library of e-courses with some sort of kind of health training, medical training for fitness professionals. And then we'll have some fitness training or exercise training for medical professionals. Those will be available. We'll have more books. Uh, it seems unlikely if you're listening to this, this will be after Christmas. Um, that's the holiday that a lot of people in the world celebrate on December 25th. If you're unaware that <laughs> if you're, when you're listening to this, however, uh, you'll know that we did not finish the programming book prior to Christmas. Uh, but yeah, that one and the nutrition text, those are the goals for 2022 book wise. And let's, we're trying to set some PRs. I'd love to, I want to get back on the platform. And I want to, I want to break 1795. I mean, I don't want to do that tomorrow and I don't think it's going to happen in January as far as like my motivation to do so. But if training starts going well, I could see something like an April, you know, comeback meet. I just won't tell anybody yeah. about it. That's, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else for 2022 you want to let the listener uh, know about? I mean, if I had to think about PRs, I continue to not really care about uh, uh, competition. If I ever feel like caring again about competition, then I'll do it. But otherwise, I'm still perfectly content and happy training and uh, and progressing as I have been. Um, pulling 750 would be cool. I know it's only five pounds, but uh, you know it still takes a lot of work to get up there. And I talked previously about some of the other milestones in terms of arbitrary plate math that may go down. Um, 
if I can keep my elbow and quad tendon happy, then I don't see why I couldn't push my squat further into the 600s, maybe, um, you know, 640, 650 and, uh, benching, you know, benching 200 kilos has been a goal for a while if my elbows would cooperate. So, uh, 440, um, and potentially beyond. So that's kind of what's on the mind. If it happens, cool. If not, I'll just, you know, keep training until it does. There you go. I love it. All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode 163, Barbell Medicine. Again, we're the podcast that brings modern medicine to strength and conditioning and strength and conditioning to modern medicine. I'm Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. That was Dr. Austin Baraki. Hey, before you go anywhere, please leave us a five-star rating and a review to help drive traffic to our podcast. It's really useful so we can keep bringing you all the latest nuance in health and fitness. We'll catch you next week and every week right here on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. See ya. credit card bill.